This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 18. Did the early church have the sacrament of confession? Now, we've already talked about the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist, but let me just define what I mean by sacrament, what the church means by sacrament. A sacrament is basically a sign, a visible sign, that not only signifies something as a sign, but actually is the cause of grace, an instrumental cause of grace, because grace only comes from God. But God, in Christ, instituted or gave us these sacraments, these signs, that affect grace in the one who receives them. These signs are visible, obviously sensible signs. So in baptism, there's the water element of the sign and also the words of baptism. In the Eucharist, there is the bread and the wine that become the body and blood of Christ. They not only signify the body and blood of Christ, but they become the body and blood of Christ and cause grace in those who receive The sacrament of reconciliation or confession, which we're talking about today, is words spoken by Christ that forgive our sins, of course, through the instrumental cause of the priest. And again, we talked about this in why the church is a visible church. Christ saves us according to our need as bodily creatures. That's why he became incarnate. And this is, in fact, the way that Christ himself, while on earth, healed and forgave sins. Sometimes he did so through means of touch or words or even using other things, putting mud on the blind man's eyes, for example. So the idea that grace and forgiveness are given to us through visible, sensible, or tangible signs shouldn't be a surprise because it's very scriptural. This is how Christ himself acted. A first objection or question that arises is, why do I need a sacrament for this? Why can't I just ask God directly for forgiveness? And the answer is, you can in certain instances. For example, a lesser sin, which we call a venial sin, one can simply make an act of contrition or ask God for forgiveness in prayer, and we believe that if it's done with with real contrition, real sorrow, one does receive forgiveness. There are even certain actions which bring forgiveness of venial sins, an act of charity, or even the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass forgives venial sins. So there is no need for a sacrament to forgive venial sins. But there are also graver sins that we call mortal sins, sins that lead to death, death of the soul, death of the life of grace in one soul. And the reason we believe that is because St. John told us that there is such a distinction. In John's first letter, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that is not a deadly sin, he will ask and God will give him life for those whose sin is not deadly. There is sin which is deadly. I do not say one is to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin which is not deadly. So the distinction between mortal and venial sins is scriptural. St. John's very clear about this. There's sin that's deadly and sin that's not deadly. Uh, One can pray for forgiveness for the not deadly sins. And he sounds a bit harsher about the deadly sins. He's like, I don't say you could pray for that. So there must be some other means of reconciling with God from those deadly sins. But since one through a deadly sin, a mortal sin, has killed the life of grace in one's soul, 
They have no means of reconciling themselves with God. They need something to bring them back from the dead, so to speak, uh, some significant intervention of God's grace, and we believe this is done through this sacrament. Another objection is, you know, the, the objection of having a mediator. And we already kind of addressed this in the episode on what the early church was like. God always uses mediators, and Christ, of course, is the one mediator between God and man. But as we'll see in the words of Christ himself, he employed, so to speak, or ordained or sent forth and gave authority to other mediators who act within his mediation as kind of instruments of it, as servants of it, as subordinate to it. So there are not many mediators, but Christ, the one mediator, communicates grace and mercy through instruments, the instruments of his church. So could God have forgiven our sins? Could God forgive our sins without the sacrament, without the church, without priests? Of course, God can do that. The question is, what did God will to do? What did Christ make known to us about God's plan for receiving his mercy after we've fallen into our sin? So we need to look at scripture for that. One final objection that Catholics often hear is, oh, Catholics can just sin however they want because they can always go to confession and receive forgiveness of sins. Well, first of all, one can't presume on God's grace, God's mercy in this sacrament. One can't uh, presume that itself is a sin. You can't just use confession as kind of like a car wash, right? It requires true contrition and a firm purpose of amendment of your life and avoidance of the sin in the future. But another response to this is that confession to a priest, right, speaking to another human being, is a lot more accountability and presents a lot more shame that might deter one from sinning in the same way again than, say, believing that I can just, whatever sin I commit, I can just say, Lord, forgive me and believe I'm forgiven. There's no accountability there. I'm not forced to speak my sins aloud and also receive some advice and also a better understanding of the gravity of what I have done. So the sacrament of confession to me has always seemed to provide a greater obstacle to sinning again, more accountability than believing that one can just ask for forgiveness in their heart, no matter what they've done. So those are kind of the main objections that you tend to hear about confession. But now let's look at whether or not there's actual scriptural proof that confession was a reality in the early church. And to be sure, all the sacraments in their external form tend to change or develop over time. You know, new prayers or new forms of performing or receiving the sacrament, new structures in the rite of the sacrament. But let's just look at the basic reality that we are to receive forgiveness of sin through the church, specifically via her ministers. Even looking back in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19, talking about the guilt offering, but he shall bring a guilt offering for himself to the Lord, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed, and the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. So even in the Old Testament with sin offerings, we have this forgiveness of sins through the mediation of a sacrifice done by the priest. Jumping back into the New Testament, the most important words of Christ in the institution of this sacrament the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So a number of important things here. First, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. It's not just I'm sending you and I also was sent, but I'm sending you as the Father sent me, kind of lending credibility to the claim I made earlier that Christ being the one mediator sends out those to accomplish his mediation. Sub-mediators, if you want to call it that. They have a subordinate and instrumental mediation that affects or that works within the mediation of Christ. It is he who is actually mediating in the person of the priest when the priest uh, celebrates sacraments or forgives sins. It is not the man, the priest. It is Christ acting through the priest. Secondly, as he gives them the Holy Spirit, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Now that sounds like just a basic Christian responsibility. If I forgive sins, then that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. But he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There, the, the belief that this is just a, a universal Christian obligation falls apart. Because I can forgive sins you commit against me. I can't forgive the sins of someone who committed a sin against you, right? That's not some basic Christian uh, ability or power. I can't forgive, as a third party, the sin between two other parties. And an even more difficult problem for that interpretation that this is just a common Christian commandment is retaining sins, that is, withholding mercy. This is a very strange thing because even, you know, even the church and her priests don't often retain sins in the sense that if someone comes for confession, a priest will absolve them. The only situation where this isn't done is if it's clear that the person is not seeking forgiveness or does not have contrition. And in that case, the priest can actually, because of these words of Christ, say, you know, you are not disposed to receive God's mercy at this point. Right? There's certain things you need to do first. So Christ not only says that he sends out his apostles just as he was sent, but also that they can forgive anyone's sins and they are considered forgiven by God, or they can retain the sins of any and they are retained also by God. Another example of this, the reality of confessing our sins, again, St. John in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this word confession is a really important one. We don't confess in our own minds. Confessing implies speaking out loud or proclaiming. So already you kind of have an idea of a public nature of this. St. Paul also giving evidence of this in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 10. And to whom you have pardoned anything, I also, for what I have pardoned, if I have pardoned anything, for your sakes have I done it in the person of Christ. So here you have a, a claim by Paul that he is forgiving the sins of others. He also says in the same letter in chapter 5, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he talks about a ministry of reconciling others to Christ. St. James says in uh, chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this verse is key in talking about the institution of the sacrament of anointing of the sick or extreme unction. But it shows very clearly that God forgives sins through the instrument of the sacrament, you know, anointing with oil and the priest praying over the person and their sins being forgiven. 
Let's move on now to the witness of the early church uh, outside of Scripture, like we did in the last episode with the Eucharist. In the Didache, you'll recall, it's from the year 70, one of the earliest documents we have witnessing to the beliefs of the early church. Confess your sins in church and do not go up to your prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of life. On the Lord's day, gather together, break bread, and give thanks after confessing your transgressions so that your sacrifice may be pure. Right, so it's not just a general call to being contrite, but confessing one's sins and doing so publicly. It says, confess your sins in church. The letter of Barnabas, written in the year 74, you shall confess your sins. You shall not go to prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of light. St. Ignatius of Antioch, again to remind you, a disciple of John the Apostle, writing in 110, For as many as are of God and of Jesus Christ are also with the bishop, and as many as shall, in the exercise of penance, return into the unity of the church, these too shall belong to God, that they may live according to Jesus Christ. So a command that penance and reconciliation with the church has to be done. He says again, For where there is division and wrath, God does not dwell. To all them that repent, the Lord grants forgiveness, if they turn in penitence to the unity of God and to communion with the bishop. Okay, again, this is not some private affair. It's a public thing. Tertullian, writing in the year 203, says, Regarding confession, some flee from this work as being an exposure of themselves, or they put it off from day to day. I presume they are more mindful of modesty than of salvation, like those who contract a disease in the more shameful parts of the body and shun making themselves known to the physicians, and thus they perish along with their own bashfulness. So here he likens confession to uh, people going to doctors, physicians, the priests, in order to hear the malady, right, to examine the malady in a sense, right, to hear the sin, to give advice, to uh, admonish and counsel about avoiding sin in the future. Hippolytus, writing in the year 215, says, The bishop conducting the ordination of the new bishop shall pray, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, pour forth now that power which comes from you, from your royal spirit, which you gave to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and which he bestowed upon his holy apostles. And grant this your servant, whom you have chosen for the episcopate, the power to feed your holy flock and to serve without blame as your high priest, ministering night and day to propitiate unceasingly before your face and to offer to you the gifts of your holy church, and by the spirit of the high priesthood, to have the authority to forgive sins in accord with your command. See here already you have a codified liturgical text, liturgical prayer, listing the authority given to the bishop and in particular to forgive sins. And that liturgical prayer was written again in the early 3rd century, in the 200s. And any historian of the church can tell you that if you have a liturgical tradition, or rather a liturgical prayer or a liturgical text that is official and, as I said, codified, that implies a much longer tradition. So it's already very early, the year 215, for this prayer. But the fact that it is a liturgical prayer set down in writing means that it enjoys a very long previous tradition. Origen, writing in the year 248, says, Albeit hard and laborious is the remission of sins through penance, when the sinner does not shrink from declaring his sin to a priest of the Lord, and from seeking medicine after the manner of him who say, I said to the Lord, I will accuse myself of my iniquity. Already over time, but I'll end with this series of quotes from St. Cyprian of Carthage writing in the year 250. The Apostle Paul likewise bears witness and says, Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But the impenitent spurn and despise all these warnings before their sins are expiated, before they have made a confession of their crime, before their conscience has been purged in the ceremony and at the hand of the priest. 
he says in another place in the same work, of how much greater faith and salutary fear are they who confess their sins to the priests of God in a straightforward manner and in sorrow, making an open declaration of conscience. I beseech you, brethren, let everyone who has sinned confess his sin while he is still in this world, while his confession is still admissible, while the satisfaction and remission made through the priests are still pleasing before the Lord. So did the early Christians have the sacrament of confession? It certainly seems they did. All of the elements that are in our current practice of the sacrament are present in the early church. The external manner in which it was done developed over the centuries, over the millennia, but the basic reality is there. Contrition for your sin, public admission of the sin, in the sense that it is not a private action, it is something done to the church, specifically through the ministry of the priests and that this receiving of forgiveness through the sacrament of confession is necessary for reconciliation with God and the church if one has fallen through mortal sin. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please visit my Patreon to become a member. Also follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give a five-star rating. God bless.